We're in week three of our preaching series. Here's the big idea when it comes to sharing the gospel. If we take one small step, they take one giant leap. All right, we being the followers of Jesus Christ on a mission from God and they being people not yet on that mission, right? They haven't been told about it or they haven't decided it's worthwhile, which is a mark on us, right? That's a mark on us, right? When we risk that one small step, they stand to make that one giant leap into eternity. Now in Christianese, right, that's church lingo, taking that one small step to connect somebody with God is called evangelism, it's one of our isms. And it's a fairly simple word, fairly simple idea, right, to announce, declare, bring, or preach the good news. That's evangelism. And to the first disciples, this included really three things that they all kind of took together, not as three separate tasks really, but as one task with three separate steps, I guess I want to call it. The first disciples, this included going out into the villages and towns, baptizing converts and teaching them everything that Jesus taught them about God. And why did they do these things? Why, why were they out doing these three things, going, baptizing, and teaching? Because Jesus told them to make disciples. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jerry. You said going, baptizing, and teaching. Well, now you're talking about discipling. Well, discipling is going, baptizing, and teaching. It's like the umbrella that sits over the top of those other three. Not only did Jesus tell them to make disciples, but those are the things that the disciple of Jesus would do because that's what Jesus did, right? We got to understand this. He didn't necessarily have to tell them. They knew that whatever he did, they did, right? That's the way in the rabbinic tradition of the Jewish people, right? They weren't just learners or followers. They were supposed to be imitators, Right to the point where they would be called what? Sons of that rabbi, like, like they were his offspring, like perfect images of him. Right? That, that, that was the idea. So now we add discipleship to the list. We have evangelism, we have discipleship, and now we're getting a little bit confused. Now, a huge part of the good news was learning how God wanted to, us to love him, to love our neighbors, and if we did that right... Right? Our neighbors would begin to experience the abundant life now and continue on into eternity. That would be a fantastic thing. Now, additionally, our love would draw them into fellowship. Right? We would have barbecues and we'd have potlucks. So now we have fellowship added to the list. And then they'd want to worship with us. Right? And pretty soon they'd join us in God's mission and begin a lifestyle of love and service to neighbor. And then we now have five purposes. Now, don't get me wrong. I, this taught me a lot about what I needed to be about as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is kind of, this was done with a bunch of big mega churches. They kind of divided up the one task into these five different tasks. And so we ended up with five instead of one. And that one is to make disciples, making disciples who share the good news. And all that that entails. And then the church got creative, right? Things got a little bit more confusing. One church gave all these five purposes, all M's. Right? Mission, maturity, membership, magnification, ministry. Another church used all G's, growth. And I don't remember the rest of them, but I know there were a whole bunch of G's, right? And, and, and all these churches grabbed on and tried to help people remember these five things that we all need. We need to remember these five things that we need to be about. And generally speaking, these five purposes were all built around some really, really, really good passages from Scripture. They were built around, right? You know, this is the Great Commission. And the great commandment, which is a good thing, 
right? This is, this is a wonderful thing, right? Evangelism and mission, well, that's, that's going. Discipleship maturity, that's teaching, baptizing, loving God, loving neighbor. You all see it up there. But to further complicate matters, we started, and again, I, I'm going to say this very carefully because I do believe in these. I do use these, these spiritual tests. So I think we begin to overuse them, overemphasize them just a little bit. Again, not against them. Use them. Very helpful personally. Helpful in running an organization such as a church, right? If you've read this book, you get the right people in the right seat on the bus. If you haven't read that book, you get the right players in the right position so that your team wins, right? Those are my two metaphors. If you can't figure that out, you're on your own. Um, right? Spiritual gift cemeteries are fine, but they should never excuse the gifted teacher from evangelism or the gifted evangelist from discipling. So we, and I think an unintended side effect of this whole organization, organizing of purposes is that we, we begin to think, well, then I, I, I'll take a guess and I'm only responsible for one-fifth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I can farm out the other four. And again, this was unintended, I think, but we, we kind of got there. In a, I don't know how we ended up doing this. Um, but the fact of the matter is to separate evangelists from discipleship or to separate any of them from each other makes them all, to a certain degree, nonsensical. For example, if we had just evangelism, right? You can't share what you don't know. And that was the, that was the story of the earlier church. They were all running around sharing Jesus, but very few of them had spent that much time with him. They'd heard rumors and they were all excited. And then pretty soon we had to have a whole bunch of church councils. Okay, this is what you're supposed to be teaching. Not that. This is what Jesus Christ is about. Not that. But we're past that now, right? We, we, we have the information. We have a, a holy Bible. We have information about Jesus Christ. So you can't share what you don't know. And if you have just discipleship, people can't know what isn't shared, right? This is, this is what becomes the ugly church. We disciple, disciple, learn, 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 and we become a Dead Sea Christian. We become toxic. We become toxic, One always leads to the other of these two until one is neglected or mistaught. Then we have problems. For example, and this is past the example I've just now given you, if we fail to disciple, we communicate that believers are not worth investing in after we've got them on the roll sheet, right? We're literally saying just make sure we got your name, fill out that yellow card, and then <laughs> good luck, you're on your own. Or we're implying that there's no more encounters to be had with Jesus, which is not the holiness message, right? We believe that Christ continues to meet with us and continues by the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us into Christ-like disciples, right? We are not bound to sin every moment in word, thought, and deed. No, absolutely not. By the power of the Spirit, he is transforming us. We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Right? The Wesleyan holiness message is it's not a one and done deal. And I know that that scares some people. Listen, we say this to the day we die. Christ will never leave us or forsake us, but we, we can leave him. We, we can. You're honest. You, you know this. The mission of the disciples, and it's our mission too. Is not just about proclaiming the good news, right? If we stop there, we've, we've, we've missed the boat. 
A key part of that good news is teaching people how the Holy Spirit can transform us into dedicated and faithful disciples that disciple others. But here's how this all tends to play out in a really kind of unhealthy manner. Maybe you've seen this in churches. The truly passionate, we tell them, you're a missionary, go. Right? And if we have an event, we'll find all the people who are gifted the evangelists and you all need to show up at this event. The rest of you, you're off the hook. Right? The eggs and the nerds, right? you'll be teachers. Extroverts, you plan the fellowship parties. Blue collars, you get to lead the service projects. And the sensitive intuits, well, they lead worship. Right? And we did this through the spiritual testing and, and, and the gifts and all this. And we just, we, we kind of got at a point where we decided where we're only responsible for what we're gifted at. And somebody else will have to do everything else. And we become one-fifth of a follower of Jesus Christ. We are no longer disciple-making disciplers who tell, share the good news. Right? We're one of five things. And again, I am not bagging on these five that has helped me so much, again, in understanding what the church needs to be about, what I need to be, what I need to be about. But few people, few churches, and churches kind of, they, they kind of come and go with this pendulum swing back and forth with this. I, this church has been there, it's been not there, it's been there, and, and I understand that, and I'm just, I'm the latest, and trying to get you to do what every other pastor is trying to get you to do and all of us to do as a body, right? Um, And that's to challenge, train, teach our people to be Christ-like, disciple-making disciples who share the good news. That's the mission. That's the mission. And I say Christ-like because he was the complete package, right? Kind of like a female's mind, the way I understand it, everything's connected, everything is connected, Right? You can't take the gospel and do the, the guy thing and compartmentalize everything. Right? This, this room over here and this box over here. You can't do that with the gospel, and yet that's what we've kind of tried to do is, is parse it all out. And you do this part, you do that part, but none of us are really responsible for the mission. A lot of you will say, yeah, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at this. I'll tell you, I'm not good at that, and I'm not good at this either. (laughs) Those of you who know me, you know this for a fact. But that's one of the reasons I attend church so regularly, in addition to the fact that y'all pay me. (laughs) Just being honest. But it's true. I mean, I I started going to church way before I started getting paid, I did that my whole life, and then they decided, well, let's just pay the idiot, all right? That's why I go to church. Because people who are strong where I'm weak help me. They show me, they demonstrate, and I learn. And that's why I go to church so regularly because that, I know God has placed me in a position where I know some things and I can share some things with somebody else. This is the power of the body. We, we're on a journey together. We're all at different stages of the journey, so we can't be judging each other. We all arrived at different points, different reasons, but we're all moving in that same direction We don't have five purposes or tasks. We have one task, one purpose. We are on a mission from God, right? To make disciple-making disciples who share the good news. And nobody's excused from anything that needs to be done to accomplish our task, which is our mission from God. Vince Lombardi, when he took over the struggling Packers team in his first meeting between he and the players, he brought out a football Right, this is a professional football team, by the way, if you're not tracking. So, gentlemen, this is a football. You could have heard a pin drop. And he proceeded 
to ch- this is how you block. This is how you throw a football. This is how you catch a football, right? And he just, he just took them back to basics. And you know what happened, right? For like a decade, they, they wiped out everybody. They were just, they were the team. They were the team to beat. They went back to basics. I don't know if you've found this, but when I am, when I'm studying something, and sometimes I get lost in the forest, right, for the trees. I'm so fasc- fascinated with each tree. I Pretty soon I realize I'm no longer on the trail. I'm, I'm lost in the forest. You know how I find my way out of that forest? I don't go find my books. I go to my wife. She was a children's librarian, elementary school librarian, and I get a children's book. And the children's book, I don't know, in like three sentences, it brings me back to true north. Like I got so confused. I got everything so complicated. And then I pull out the children's book and it says, Jerry, here's what you need to know. Anyone ever, ever had that? You look at a children's book? That's disappointing. <laughs> in my mind, you all raised your hand. Um, so in honor of children's librarians around the world and Vince Lombardi, for Christians, this is our football. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is our football. Let me show you a football. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, in Matthew's account, it all started on a mountain at Jesus' temptation, right? You remember that? And then at the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, we learn the lifestyle of the kingdom. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, we learn Jesus' true identity. Matthew's, Matthew loves mountains. Loves mountains. And now at this mountain, he's going to unveil, unveil new, new instructions, right? The upgraded mission from God. Kind of, kind of like, right, and, and, and there's this imagery, kind of like the new Moses from the new Mount Sinai with new instructions for the followers, right? New instructions. This is now going to be worldwide. It's not just for the Hebrews anymore. It's, it's for the entire world. There have been mountaintops. But there had been plenty of valleys, right? We know this, in between the mountaintops. And the last time that Jesus saw the disciples, if you recall, they were in a valley. Like they were in a straight-up valley of death, right? There was no mountaintop in sight. They all ran from him. One betrayed him. One denied him. It had all started out so well. They were so enthusiastic right? Beginning of the gospels, everybody's totally committed. Then as he continues to teach and he continues to talk of what it would mean to be a part of the kingdom, people started dropping off. There was misunderstandings or failures, betrayals. That had all, that all marked their last meeting together. So the next verse makes total sense. Makes total sense. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I know you're thinking, what? Nobody really knows what they doubted because there's no information past this sentence right here. The Greek doesn't tell us anything. We just don't know. Here are some guesses, right? How was a dead man standing in front of them talking? Right? The last time they saw Jesus, he was dead. A few of them had seen him alive and a few of them had seen him in the upper room, but not all of them. There had been rumors Dead man standing in front of them talking. And would this dead man talking forgive them? That was a doubt on many of their minds. There's no way that he can use me anymore. I doubt if he even likes me anymore. But he told me to be here, and that's where I'm going to be. 
That's what I'm going to be. How are they to behave based on both mountaintop and valley experiences? Right? How do we now relate to Jesus? Right? How, how do we worship him? Do we touch him? Do we shake his hand? Kind of like COVID? <laughs> they, they literally had no idea. How, 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 do I, how do I talk with this? He's not human. Just, right? Confusion, hesitation, belief, disbelief, fear, hope, awe. I think all these emotions swept over them and they kind of all is part of that doubt. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them, doesn't even chide them. I heard, heard our, our, our district superintendent talk about this. He's doing his, his dissertation, his, his PhD work right now, and, and he shared something at the Pastors and Wives Retreat. Whenever Jesus chides the disciples, and it always sounds like he's angry at them, like, oh, you have little belief, you have little faith. Oh, I cannot believe, right? Our, our DS kind of pointed out the fact that, very forcefully pointed out the fact that in all those situations, we're kind of misled by the, the simplicity of the language. Jesus is literally, oh, you guys are so close. You were so close. Come on, come on, come on, get up one more time. We're gonna nail it this time. You were so close. I'm, I'm still behind you. Let's get up and do this again. That was really the intent of all those places in the gospel where you hear Jesus say, that's really not what he was doing, right? You get this impression that he is our greatest, most ridiculously optimistic cheerleader that ever lived. That is our savior. He believes in us. And why does he do that? Because it sounds crazy. Because he's going to have his spirit living in us. That's how he knows. He's, he's not worried. He's not worried at all about this mission from God. Not in the least. Not in the least bit worried. Based on what Jesus is about to say, their failure has been left behind. It's been swallowed up in the much greater reality of the mission to which they are now called. Right? Just forget about that. Just stop. You made a mistake. Big deal. Let it go. Let it go. That's the biggest thing in sports. Right? Let go of the last play. Focus on the next play. He reestablishes the broken relationships because Jesus knew that healing, listen very carefully, healing accompanies the mission. Right, we all think that we're going to come to church and we'll get all healed up here somehow and then we'll go out there and, and dump all of our healing energy. But the fact of the matter is, and you all probably know this by your own testimonies, when you go out and you're hanging out with the lost, boy, boy, things happen. Right? You get healing. You're not only providing healing for the person you're servicing, ministering to, or what you, God's spirit just like comes alive in you. So Jesus reestablishes the broken relationships by entrusting them with the mission from God, first entrusted by God to him. That's hard to do, my friends. When you know you're the expert and you're going to give it off to somebody you know, they're not experts, right? They're barely apprentices. And that's what Jesus is doing, but he trusts us. He trusts us with the mission from God. There is no bigger confidence builder than being told by somebody far, far above you, get back up, give it another shot, shot, because I know you can do it. And that's what Christ is doing throughout these situations. Get back up and finish the job because I know you can do it. So calm down and relax, right? All of us breathe deep, right? Whoever said you're going to be doing this all under your own power and authority anyways, right? That's what we think. That's what stops us cold in our tracks. But now that you mention it, Jesus has something to say about that. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And by the, the authority vested in me by my Father and by the power of my Spirit, I'm going to give you that power and authority. See, I'm not only a royal descendant of King David. I'm not only the promised Messiah. I'm not only the king of the Jews. My Father has temporarily made me the king of the entire universe. Temporarily, because we read in Corinthians that that power is going to be given back to the Father once everything is under the Father and God is all in all. Right? We know this. Therefore... Therefore, take on the mission given to me by my Father, and I now give it to you. And all the power and authority given to me, I now give to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And again, we looked at this last week, the Greek sentence structure, make disciples. That is the, the imperative verb, right? That's the instruction. That's the order It's what an imperative verb is. It's a direct do this. And then how do you go about doing this? Well, now you have the subordinate participles. Had to look all this up. I'm not an English expert. The I-N-G words, right? You do it by going, baptizing, and teaching. That's how you make disciples. That's our task. And we do it by these little steps. Going, baptizing, and teaching. We go. We don't wait for them to show up. We bring them back to a spirit-filled fellowship. And we teach them everything that Jesus commanded. It's one task completed by three interconnected steps in a journey. And that's the way we kind of got to get it in our head. It's a journey. It's not, again, it's not a one and done. We get this idea, well, I'll invite them and then I'm done. Or I'll get them to the altar and then I'm done. Or, you know, we, we have all the, and, and then I'm done. A lot of, then I'm done's. That's not, never, that's never the idea. That's never the idea. The mission isn't just about going or baptizing or teaching. The mission is about making dedicated, faithful, disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ who shares the good news of God's kingdom that he perfectly represented, modeled, and demonstrated in his life, his death, and his resurrection. But I think we tend to read this passage like this. Therefore, construct a building, hire trained ministers, and they will come. And when they do... Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is kind of, and I'm not, I'm not bagging on it, this is the church world, right? This is the church world. This is individual churches who aren't careful, who can easily slide into this, right? So I'm not pointing any kind of fingers or anything like that. I'm just saying we need to ask these questions as a body. We need to focus. We need to, these things are important, right? We baptize folks in the Christian community and teach them how to behave as a Christian, But in most, in many churches, and again, this is a pendulum that swings back and forth, in many churches, right, we'll talk about and we'll do prayer, we'll talk about and we'll do tithing, we'll talk about and we'll do attending weekly service, but we'll only talk about going. I think this has been my heartbeat as a minister for two decades now, and I'm I'm sure you guys are getting tired of it, right? It's like, how do we get outside the walls of the church? And I know that this, this body has been outside the walls, came back in, been outside. I mean, every church has this history, right? They're, they're on task, boy. They're on point, tip of the spear. Then they get lackadaisical, and, and, and it happens. We get comfortable. And then, and then the Holy Spirit shows up, and there's a revival in a church, and, and we're, no, we're, we're, we're the same. We're, we're no different than anybody else, right? We, we've had, some of you have been around. You've seen some of these dips in, in some of these mountains, and there will be many more, right? You know that. 
How do we get outside the walls, right? This is why we're encouraging, we're equipping every small group, every home group, every Sunday school group to somehow participate in a servant evangelism project. And we've got some places that we have gotten into. We've gotten into Solstice Assisted Living, Carmichael Middle School, Jason Loop, just to name a few. Maybe to name the only ones. <laughs> that got pastory there for a moment. And the, our presence there is going to grow. Right? There's a lot of things that we can do to make Christ known in our community. Here's the deal, though. When you get into your groups and when you start gathering, you will have gifted evangelists. You will have gifted teachers. You will have you know, gifted servants, singers, and party planners. Lean into them, right? I am not saying ignore spiritual gifts. Lean into them, but do not let that excuse you from playing your full part in the gospel and spreading the good news. We're all called to play all five parts. We can't farm out these things. And if you're doubting still, or you're afraid, or anything like that, let me throw in this last part of the passage, verse 20, the end of verse 20. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the cool thing about Matthew. He makes this very, 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 very clear. One of the things that Matthew does in his gospel is he bookends it. He bookends it with what? God with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And then at the very, very end, he's still with us. He's never left us. And he will never leave us. That's Matthew's message. That's an amazing, that's an amazing, amazing Matthew message from Matthew. But here's the catch, right? You knew there was going to be a catch, right? The promises of the presence and the authority of Jesus are specifically attached to his command to fulfill our mission. It's not show up and on the way out, we're going to give you a parting gift. That's not the way, that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. But how do you know when you should share your faith and how do you know when to invite somebody to church, right? When to take that one small step to get a journey started, because we know it's a journey, right? In closing, I just want to throw out a couple just helpful little hints, right? I told you I'd be doing this during this service, so each message I'm going to try to, well, give us some hands-on. Give us some practical, right? You got us all, give us something practical there, big guy. Here are the clues to listen to. This, this is from Andy Stanley. I mean, he calls these the not cues, right? You hear somebody saying things are not going well. I'm not prepared for this. I'm not from here. We just moved to the area, right? Pay attention to those knots. Those knots are screaming, right? This person is worth a risk, right? They're missing something. Something is not in their life. Something's not right. I can almost guarantee you if you introduce God into that conversation, it's going to be welcomed. If you were to say, let me pray, you got yourself a conversation because I don't know if I've ever met anybody whom I asked, could I pray for you? And they said, no. I, I, it hasn't happened. Maybe, maybe it's happened to you. It happens. A few other things, a few other ways we can do this. Pulled this from another website. Go to the same restaurant. I heard this from our GS Deal, Dial, Jim Dial, Deal. I can't remember his name. First heard this. Go to the same restaurants, coffee shops, same class as Jim. Get to know 
repeatedly in a, in a repeated like fashion. Get to know somebody who doesn't know Christ. Get to know them. If you're invited to a barbecue, a party by a non-Christian, go. Take the best food. Pray that God will allow you to go into a neighborhood, your school, your gym, your work, and find people. I'll tell you what, that prayer will be answered, yes, more often than probably any prayer that you pray. Right? If you're worried, I never get answers, I never get yeses to my prayer. You start praying this, and you're going to say, okay, Father, I'll stop. Because <laughs> you answer this way too often, and now you're just freaking me out a little bit. But this is a prayer that will work. Now, I've talked to a lot of people, and I am absolutely convinced the greatest spiritual growth happens in the midst of these kind of conversations with the lost. People say, well, I want deeper preaching. I want deeper study. I want, it's all good and fine. But in my experience, the deepest experiences, they happen out there. They don't, they don't happen in the classroom. They, they just don't. The, the reality hits you when you're out there talking with somebody who doesn't know your Savior. And they're asking what you think are crazy questions, but they're not. Right? This gives you a chance, and I guarantee you, you start doing this, and you will desire Bible study and prayer and attending worship services like you've never desired them before. You will need them. You will recognize that you need them when you start having conversations with the lost. And until that happens, this, all of this is, for many people, it's negotiable. I can make it through my week. But if you got somebody that you're praying for and they're counting on you to shine the light, you're going to find yourself on your knees. You just will. And you're going to find yourself here needing to be replenished because it is draining to help, to minister to people. But at the same time, God fills us back up. It's the craziest thing. It's draining, but he keeps filling us back up until we're overflowing and we can't help but keeping continue to help people. This is our mission. Bow your heads. Father, it can be very confusing all the things that a Christian should be doing. Father, help us keep this, this one task in front of everybody, everything else. Make it the tip of the spear that we would be disciple-making disciplers who share the good news. And we can't take any part of that and leave any part of that. It's, it's got to be the whole thing. So, Father, this morning, as people make decisions to follow maybe a little bit more closely, right, to, to sacrifice something that's been getting in the way, um, Father, by the power of your spirit, help that process along because you and I both know, Father, that they're going to find joy at the end of that process. It will be difficult. It might be painful, but there will be joy at the end. So, Father, thank you for this promise that we're on your mission. You show up with power and authority. Thank you for this. In your son's name I pray. Amen.